Feasting on Design. I'm your host, Jason Frostholm. How is everyone holding up during their quarantine? I know in the big scheme of things that staying in is a minor inconvenience. Since I'm not wanting for anything, I have food, TV, the internet, and books that I can use to occupy my time. And I know that by staying in, I'm lessening the risk that I come in contact with someone who may be carrying the virus, which means I'm keeping my family and friends safer. But we as humans, even those of us who are introverted, need human contact and interaction. We're social creatures. So when our life is disrupted, even just a little bit, it throws our whole game off. Case in point, I've been struggling to be productive during this time. Maybe you're feeling that way too. I can tell that my stress levels are higher because I don't have client work to keep me busy right now. And when I'm stressed, I procrastinate on things I need to do, which feeds the cycle of feeling stressed. It's a scary time. And we all feel like we've lost control over what we are able to do when we want to do. So, I don't know, maybe we're craving some sense of normalcy. And that's okay. Uh, In my long rambling way, that is the point I want to get across, is that it's okay to feel like you want to run away from the news right now. It's okay you're not on top of your game. It's okay that you're doing what you can to cope with the situation at hand. Right now is a tough and stressful time that none of us have experienced before. But we'll get through it. There will be an end. And in the words of Oscar Wilde, everything is going to be fine in the end. If it's not fine, it's not the end. Today on Feasting on Design, I'm talking with Dave Clayton from Astute Graphics and author of How Do I Do That in InDesign? We chat about his book, Designing for the Market, Not the Owner, Picking Your Design Battles, Imposter Syndrome, plus a whole lot more. If you like the podcast and want to help support us, head over to patreon.com slash feastingondesign. Every dollar helps us to cover hosting costs, upgrade equipment, and keep the podcast going. When you become a Feasting on Design patron, you'll get access to exciting Feasting on Design news before anyone else, plus stickers and t-shirts. So please help support the podcast by becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash feastingondesign. Dave, thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a while. It has. It has. And it's, it's, uh, God, how long has it been? Two years now since you were on West? Yeah, I think it was because I remember, uh, and I conveyed this story last time I was on. I remember listening to Creative South podcast Mm -hmm. and hearing my name on it. Not, (laughs) no, not understanding why. And then realized it was because you'd won a book. Uh, you'd won Von Glitschke's <laughs> book and you were, you were interviewing Von and I was researching Von because I just joined Astute mm-hmm. Graphics and I'll, I'll have been there three years in March. So, okay. yeah, I reckon it was a good good two years ago when, when we last were on the podcast together. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's nice to um, catch up in a public way versus our just catching up uh, at uh, Creative South and, oh, the- you know, 
passing like ships in the night where you barely get to see each other half the time. I know that. And especially when you're working, I've, I've said this before with conferences when you're away is everybody thinks you're hanging out with your friends all the time and you actually come away like I've done with Adobe Max and gone, mm-hmm. I didn't even see one of my best friends at the recent Adobe Max for the whole time I was there. Oh, yeah. At, at, because you're just bouncing around everywhere and... And you, yeah. and I, and for me, I'm obviously coming over to your neck of the woods, and mm-hmm. I only get to see some of those friends once or twice a year. And when you mm-hmm. do go to an event and you don't get to see them, it's like, oh, when I'm back on the flight home, I get back and it's just, oh man, where were you? I was in this class, you were in that class. I was at this event, you were at that event, and it's I've yeah. got to wait a year now, or you know, a, a period of time, but. The, the lovely thing about this was, we've, you know, tonight we're on Skype and we've got WhatsApp and we've got Facebook Messenger. I love that mm-hmm. um, I've been chatting to the guys from Always Abounding last couple of weeks mm-hmm. and we've not done any kind of Skype stuff, but I love that sure. that this community that we're in, that we've that we've met up in, everyone stays in touch all the time and we all help each other and follow each other and and just, you know, passing messages back and forth and, and sharing <laughs> stuff. It's great. I love it. Yeah, that, that, that community aspect that, that is a nice, uh, that is a nice thing that technology has brought us. Yeah. It's one of the good bits of social media. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> one of the few. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I also get to see, um, my mom post every weird recipe that sounds disgusting to me so that's the downside of social media yeah you do you do have to see some of your family you don't you don't normally agree with what they're putting but you just got to be polite and say nothing and move on <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> sure if yep. you want to believe that you know what i still love you no matter what yeah and i'm <laughs> i'm still like calling my mum, going have we got a cousin called this because i keep getting friend requests and i don't know who they are and she goes oh yeah you know so you know your auntie you know their son well they had a son and they've had a daughter and it's like i've got cousins i've not even met and second cousins and third cousins and i'm getting friend requests and it's just i don't want i don't want to follow them because they keep posting badly spelt memes yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah and those are the good things that they yeah. post i love <laughs> yeah I, I, no, I, love, I get those too <laughs> i love you my sweet angle <laughs> no it's angel <laughs> <laughs> that does remember i actually saw someone and i don't know why it showed up in my feet i think he does i think it was one of my neighbors who i'm connected with actually posted up a i love you my sweet angle oh. but it was oh no Stick with me here. <laughs> it was actually of a um, uh, uh, carpentry tool that was an angle, oh. so you could measure stuff. Because he's he's a he's kind of a handyman contractor sort of guy. So that made me laugh. That was like that's the appropriate use of it. He played it to his advantage. I posted something once. I know we're going off track here, but I posted something <laughs> once where I'd seen it. So I did a little fake one and, and put like, I'll miss you my sweet angle. And a friend of mine who got who got what I was doing came mm-hmm. on and said, Don't be so obtuse. And obviously <laughs> that's an angle math angle joke. joke. Yeah. And somebody came on after her and was going, oh, and how dare you talk to him like that? He was only bit, they just didn't get the joke. And the then joke. I'm sitting there thinking, oh, this has just got double funny because they got it. They haven't got it. 
Yeah. <laughs> the, the joys of uh, going over people's heads. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, so um, getting back on track, since we last talked, yeah. you have, well, you had the vector generians kind of going at that point. Yes. Yeah. But he shoots, he draws I don't think was going, or you had just started. I can't quite remember. Uh, that's a good question, actually. It might have been in its infancy. So, so he shoots, he draws started February 2018. Um, because although this sounds sad, me saying it, it's not because I tend to look at things like this as happy memories, but that was the mm-hmm. month my dad passed away. And mm-hmm. and the podcast started that month, and it, and and I also went to an event, and because everyone was talking about it and kind of making it sad, and it's like, no, it was sad that I lost my dad, but it's kind of a point in time where you can go, well, did that happen before we lost my dad or after I lost my dad? More than mm-hmm. did it happen before we started the podcast or after the podcast? <laughs> so I can't believe it's been two, you know, coming up to two years since that mm-hmm. happened but yeah the podcast will have been going two years in february um, now the vector generians is still alive uh, it's still me and tony harmer but tony left adobe and mm-hmm. went out on his own as the design ninja mm-hmm. and he's he's a very have um he's got a lot of content on lynda.com or now linkedin learning and so mm-hmm. me and tony probably speak two to three times a week we just haven't got around to recording an episode yet even though we've <laughs> we've spoken about 50 hours of content we should have recorded but it vector generians was meant to be like that secret that secret podcast that you never know when it's going to come but when it comes out we'll let mm-hmm. you know we don't even get stats on it we we actually just throw it up on the website we get zero stats we don't know how many times it's been downloaded it's uh-huh. not it's not on a platform it's just literally we record it and he puts it on in the media folder on the website mm-hmm. and people can just play it from there but yeah <laughs> that's going but he shoots he draws was really came about i was heavily inspired by people like you who as i got into this sort of creative south world and and started to dip my toes more in the design world i found myself listening to more design podcasts than anything else mm-hmm. um even though i've been working in the photography industry i didn't find photography podcasts as interesting as i did design so i've got to know a lot of designers through listening to them and having spoken to tony i said to glenn one day cuz glenn's my best mate we you know we met mm-hmm. exactly 10 years ago this year and um we joke about a little anniversary. But I just said to him one day, look, I think now would be a good time to try a podcast and see if we can sustain it with content. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to do it like kind of half-assed. I want it to be a proper job. So we made we sat down, made a meeting, we made a list of everything we wanted to achieve and everything we'd set out to do, which was always number one, number two, and number three was good audio. Good audio, good audio. Mm. And everything else would come. And we, we did a couple of Dave and Glenn episodes that it it picked up really quickly. Then mm-hmm. we hit, we did our first interview, episode four, and then we sort of realised the industry we're in. We know a lot of people. Let's see how it goes. So, but alongside that, I still listen to all my friends' podcasts because I just love that medium. 
I don't, mm-hmm. like we were talking off air, I don't like doing the Instagram live, Facebook live. I don't need my face on stuff. I've got, I've got a face right. for Braille. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm quite, I'm quite happy talking about something, about a subject I love. So, sure. so that's why I used to love listening to the Creative South podcast. It's why I subscribed to Feasting on Design. I was glad to see you come back with a new, with a mm-hmm. new show. But there's still kind of a familiarity about it because of the relationships you've got with your guests. Mm-hmm. And I just I just love it. I re- I just really enjoy it because it's an excuse to speak to people that you wouldn't normally get a phone call with if you just wanted to chat to them. Yeah, that that's you know, that's the selfish reason behind me doing it is I get to talk to people who I just really admire and pick their brain and find out a little bit about them and you know that's that's the the fun part of it yeah no it's definitely it's definitely something that um like i say podcasts are like the netflix of of audio i can binge Mm -hmm. listen go back and listen to 10 episodes back to back and because my job at a stew i'm traveling to the office twice a week i get 24 hours a month in my car driving to and from work so i get to listen to 24 podcasts sometimes more um, mm-hmm. because every journey in and every journey home is always me listening. And sometimes I listen because of the guest. Other times I just listen to see how other people structure their podcasts, what kind of questions mm-hmm. and interviews they do. Um, some podcasts ask the same questions of every guest, which in the beginning you sort of think, oh, that might get a bit tedious, but actually it doesn't because every guest gives a different answer. So it's a good way of researching. Yeah. Um, if we're going to work with a designer, like very mm-hmm. early on, this is what I did with Aaron Draplin. I probably listened to, I don't know, 15 podcasts with Aaron mm-hmm. and f- 12 of them were the same interview because the interviewer was asking the same questions. So I got to hear the same answers, but I got to know Aaron's personality. And mm-hmm. and then, you know, you start to hear a few more questions and you get to know someone. Same with Vaughn. We said, you know, when I was researching Vaughn, I was listening to podcasts with him on just to get a feel for who he is because it's great for me to know what they've worked on, who they work with. Um, It's my, it's my favorite medium at the moment. Just lining up podcasts and, and just, cause you can just chuck it. If I'm doing stuff in the garden, drive in, if I'm walking to football or something. Oh yeah. It's just there. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm the same way. Anytime I'm in the car now, very rarely am I listening to music anymore. If I'm sitting down working, I'm listening to music. But if I'm, you know, if I'm out mowing the yard or if I'm driving somewhere, I've got a podcast on and I'm listening to it. And, you know, I'd say I've got probably a 50-50 mix between design shows and then just various entertainment shows oh. that are, you know, yeah, whatever. But I, li- I listen to soccer ones. My favorite one at the moment is The Office Ladies with Jenna Fisher and, <laughs> and Angela yeah. from The Office. Listening to mm-hmm. them do the go through the episode. That's that's brilliant. Oh yeah, I I don't listen to all design ones because you can yeah. you can kind of get a bit of a. Oh, um, but yeah. I, I just yeah. like chucking random stuff in. There's a couple of mm-hmm. couple of good comedy ones out there. So yeah, it's just uh, it's a nice way of passing the time. Is that and Netflix? Yeah. Well, since you've started, you know, earnestly doing a podcast on a regular basis and things like that, have you noticed that your communication style has changed or or grown? Yeah, I think if you've probably done the same, if you go back and listen to your first interviews 
Um, and it's not just the podcast. It's actually, it's the bit before and after. So it's mm-hmm. the contact in the guest. It's learning how to speak to people without waffling, but getting your yeah. point across politely and not, and not coming across as demanding. So I've learned a mm. lot about communication with people when you, because you're asking for their time. You're asking for them to take time out yeah. of their day. And quite often that's, you know, in some cases, they're people who do a lot of podcasts. So it's like mm-hmm. another podcast. So yeah, I would say I've learned a lot about how to communicate and how to, how to ask, how to follow up after the podcast, you know, send a thank you email or just drop a note somewhere and say it's really great to chat to you. Here's the show graphics. It will be out on such and such a date. We don't really put pressure on anyone to to share it. We just start, you know, if they do, they do. If they don't, they don't. Um, sure. But also t- I'm more structured in my questioning. And also I, I I love the research part of it as well. I like reading interviews, looking on websites, following, mm-hmm. going through social media and just uh, like character put um i don't know what's the there's a word for it um character profile yeah. so you can't it's like stalking it's like legalized stalking <laughs> exactly but i find it it helps me in my job in, in the way i talk to clients and and designers mm. it's um I, here i am struggling for words talking about communication if <laughs> But you know what I <laughs> well, mean. I think it's, it's tough when you're talking about it of how, what your process is and things like that. It, Cause you know, you, you talk with people normally, you don't talk with people about talking. Exactly. I watch <laughs> Keith Richards play guitar. I don't need to, him to tell me how he's playing the guitar. Yeah. <laughs> but I do. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I do enjoy, I do enjoy, Glenn always says, you know, how did you get that guest? And it's like, well, it's something your parents always tell you. If you don't ask, you don't get. But it's, it's how yeah. you ask that's important. Mm-hmm. And I've I've been really pleased with some of the responses we've had that have been, yeah, they've appreciated the politeness you've and respect you've shown them in the way you've asked. Mm-hmm. That's a skill. Yeah, I, I've, I've, I've had the same thing. It's, you know, most of the time I'm fairly straightforward of, Hey, would you like to be in, would you be interested in being on this podcast? I know it's, you know, it takes time away from your day, but I would love to talk to you, find out more about you and, and things like that. And it's, it's a matter of don't over explain it. Just be brief and yeah. just be straightforward with what you ask. Yeah. Yeah. And we always say, if I found something out about the guest that I maybe know they're quite passionate about, I'll often drop in the email, mm-hmm. um, I know you do this, but I'd actually really like to talk to you about this. So we've got a podcast coming out on Monday, um, the 20th of January, which is probably already out from when this goes out. Um, (laughs) And yeah, there was a, there was an interview I really wanted to do with, uh, we've got a TV show over here in the 1960s when I was younger, there was a show called Thunderbirds. And Captain Scar. I remember Thunderbirds. 90. Yeah. So it was Jerry Anderson was the creator mm-hmm. of this. Okay. And I credit Jerry Anderson's programs and, and Star Trek, um, Man From Uncle, some of those kind of shows as, as the spark that made me a graphic designer. Because mm-hmm. those colours and the brand and everything, it stayed with me since I was little. That, that, mm-hmm. that, that's the bit I always look for when I see those shows. And I really wanted to, talk to somebody about 
everyone recognises the ship. In like the same way with Star Trek, you know, everyone knows the shirt colours. We all know the red shirts are going to die. Captain Kirk's gold, yep. science officer's blue. Um, and you've got all the insignia. And if you're a Star Trek fan, you'll know more more recent times uh, the the couple that did a lot of the, the um, logos and diagrams and everything and the branding. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to find out about Thunderbirds, you know, where did that Thunderbirds logo come from? Where did Captain Scarlet and Century 21? So Jerry Anderson's son, Jamie, now owns the Anderson Entertainment Empire and he Mm. does his own podcast and I'd listen to it and I really wanted to talk to him, but I thought I'm probably going to get a no. So I messaged him and said, look, I'd really, I run, I have this podcast, I'm a designer my love of graphic design comes from the shows. I would love to talk to you, not just about how did Thunderbird start? How did Captain Scarlet start? Because that's stuff you've covered. I want to talk to you about where did all that design come from? You know, is there somebody responsible for that? And as it turned out, there wasn't. But we had a really good chat for an hour about how back in the 60s and 70s, like today, if you look at uh, any any genre marvel you go to the shop you go and buy spider-man in a sealed pack Uh they're made to be marketed to be sold as a toy to be a collectible but back in the 60s all those sets they were all those they were smashed up it was like our job was to make a tv show and when that finished we made another tv show there was merchandise but it wasn't widely made so a lot of it is quite hard to find and he was just saying yeah that wasn't that wasn't how we thought back then my, you know, my dad's yeah. job was to make a show. It wasn't, to, it's only when Star Wars came along where Kenner got that contract mm-hmm. and realized that I think they've made more money from the toys than they ever made from the films. I read oh, somewhere. Yeah. They, yeah. I, I um, wonder if they still do. But because I, I mean, with the new films coming out, they've re released a lot of like, what is it? It's the Star Wars Black Series, I think, toys. Could be. But yeah. I still don't, I don't see them. I don't see them around as much as I saw Star Wars toys when I was a kid. Yeah. They were all, and what I remember as a kid is they were all discolored as well. There was no, the skin wasn't pink. And no. Yeah, you had to like <laughs> punch holes through the plastic and to get things out. And you threw the packaging away and you never, you never even oh, yeah. thought this would be a collectible. But, you chewed on the lightsaber. Yeah. Just as a toothpick. <laughs> Some of the faces <laughs> wouldn't even look like a person. It looked like a monkey that just had the yeah, hair painted yeah. on and a little jacket. But yeah, it, and it was a really good chat. And I was so pleased that not only was he a lovely, lovely guy, he, he was quite honest about the things he couldn't talk about. But it was that mm. process of contacting him, researching and being honest and saying, I want to talk to you about this specific thing. Are you cool with that? And he came back straight away and said, Dave, that would be awesome. I haven't spoken about that before. Mm-hmm. That was music to my ears. So, yeah, it, it's those little nuggets that that allow you a glimpse into someone's personal life in a non-creepy stalker way yeah. um, are, are the things that make the show worth doing and, and things like that. It, it I'm trying to find the right words. It's just, it helps build that connection. And I think when you stumble upon them in a show, 
it, if you're having the conversation, it makes you want to find out more. And I hope as a listener, I mean, I, I certainly know when I listen to other people's shows and when I listen to your show and I hear, you know, some little nugget, like there are many times that after the show, I will fall down a rabbit hole finding out more and more about them. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do the same. I've got always got a notebook and I'm like, oh, I didn't know about that. In fact, there's a book I've got that I heard. Uh, I think the guy was, I think it was Billy Bauman from Delicious Design League. Uh, because mm-hmm. he's based in Chicago and he was talking about uh, Otis and it was the couple that did the Wrigley brand. Oh, uh, I don't know it was, about it was, them. It's, it's a fantastic book and story, but basically back in the days when uh, Wrigley started, mm-hmm. it was a husband It was a husband and wife. They worked in the design studio. They ended up getting married. They met there, but they created the Wrigley brand for Mr. Wrigley um, so they did all the all the World War around World War Two. They were doing all the design and the billboards, and they were painting the billboards. They weren't, you know, there wasn't big large format printing back then. They would have to get that right, and it's the whole story of how they dealt with Mister Wrigley. And then they got the Cubs, and they designed all the Cubs programs. And it's, mm-hmm. oh, it's a beautiful book. I'll have to um, send you the link afterwards because I can't see it on the bookshelf at the moment. But yeah, I know the guy's name is Otis, and it's just a beautiful book and it's a story I I never knew of and I would never have known had I not listened to a podcast. So I'm sat there writing, oh, that sounds interesting. I like branding, wrote it down, went and got it. Probably one of my favorite books. Oh, I'm definitely interested in that. I mean, my family is originally from Chicago and, and, you know, going to Wrigley Field is still to this day and I'm not a huge sports fan, yeah. but there's something about it. And then my neighbor growing up who lived across the street from us was a, I don't know what exactly, I guess he was a regional salesman for Wrigley. Yeah. So he always had huge, like just tons of gum in his garage (laughs) that he would go to the grocery stores and stuff and distribute out and all that. But you know, the kids would come over and take it and all that too. There's a line always. Yeah. <laughs> I say there's a line in the book that I love that I've told a few designers that I've spoken to and it's about how how you as a designer you get precious about your work and I, I, this isn't like word for word but basically what happened was the uh, the designer was uh, commissioned to make this specific thing for a Wrigley gum it might have been double mint or mm-hmm. or juicy fruit and um he designed it all. Him and his wife did it all, did all the layouts and they took him into Mr. Wrigley and he said, no, no, I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. And and the guy just stood his ground and said, I don't care that you don't like it. I've not made this for you to hang up in your living room. I've made this to go on the side of a road. This is what we're using. And they had the, they, they put that brand in out and I think they had like the biggest sales drive of that product than they'd ever had in the range and uh-huh. he stuck to his guns and it was true when we design stuff like glenn and i talk about it fit for purpose it's not yeah i, I think i i think so many people and i think it's become more prevalent these days or at least because more people have a platform to talk that it seems more prevalent that people think that because they don't like it, it's not going to work. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, but I'm not designing for what you like. I'm designing for what the market. Exactly. Is. Exactly. And I'm, you know, when I had my day job before leaving and going on my own, 
I fought that battle all the time. And it was just like, yeah, I, I don't care if you like it. Yeah. You're not buying it. You own the company. It doesn't matter. You're, you're already invested. Yes. Like you don't, you're not buying your product. You're not yeah. buying your service. You've got to be able to position it to the other people out there who need it. And it's got to be able to resonate with them. Yeah. And, and that's, got, that's yeah, what our you, job is. You've got to know as well that you can put all the training and all the education and all the research and all the time into a piece of artwork that you absolutely love and think you would put your mortgage on that this is, this is what you need. Uh Ultimately, the person who makes the decision on the three logos you sent in could be Doris the receptionist or Auntie Ethel or Uncle Mm -hmm. Jim or, or my six year old niece who hates purple. The, the person who to chooses it yeah. sometimes, it can can just be purely because I like that colour or I love that particular thing. And it'll be someone who has zero design ability or skills. So mm-hmm. we, we can put all that weight behind us. But ultimately, the other side of it is I don't care if I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not doing it to win awards. I'm not doing it to have the best picture on dribble (laughs) i want to be paid for this job it doesn't have to go in my portfolio i just need to know that i i did the best job fit for purpose it's going to do what it needs to do and i'll get paid and i can move on to the next job yeah i was i was talking to matt dawson a while back i listened to that Um, one that was a good show and I don't, I don't know if this was on air in it but we were talking about when we were designing logos and like his first round that he presents to clients, he makes sure that they're all black and white. He doesn't ever present them in color yeah, because he doesn't want that. Oh, I don't like orange or I don't like purple or blue makes me sad because, (laughs) you know, my dog, when I was seven was hit by a blue car. car, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And that's stuff that you can't research for. No, it's just, yeah, no, I've, I've had some where I've put, everything into it and and seriously the the response that's come back has been exactly like that it's just been uh i don't like that color because or i don't like this because and it's just oh man so but then that that they're the things you learn early on as well is about how many rounds how many revisions how much you charge how much time Mm -hmm. those kind of things there they are the heartbreakers but then you also but i would say to designers now who was it the other day oh yeah i was talking to two guys that had done a rebrand for a football club and they kind of went through a crowd funded they put it out and did the usual we want you designers to design the thing um Mm. and then we'll pick the best ones but what they did was when they narrowed it down because there was a lot of rubbish in there they paid everyone in the final 10 then they paid everyone in the final three then they would pay the finalists so there was money now they'd actually got to the you might even know you might no i won't name them but that we did do a podcast episode about it and it got down to they got the final one and what happened was they put the final badge logo and they did a whole branding exercise mate it was really good and I grew Uh up with this football team so I I knew what the original badge had what weight it had behind it and it went up against the original badge and the fans picked the original badge and stuck with it so ultimately they hadn't been paid yet for any of Mm -hmm. the work they'd done 
but they now had a they'd now created a brand that got 40% of the vote which was high for a sports club to get sure. such a you know uh, when the original badge is associated to a long loved manager who died a couple of years ago who mm-hmm. who is synonymous with the club but i said to them so who owns that you know you you own that you haven't been paid for it you have created all these assets that you could effectively go and use elsewhere. And mm. that's something I, I've i done before, and, I, and I'm sure a lot of designers do it. I'm not saying anything new here, but just yeah. because a client kicks something back, it's not time wasted. You've learned no. something in the process, but you could take elements of, the, of what you've done there and turn it into something else and save a bit of time and you'll make a bit of money. And they're not, you know, when you kill your darlings, don't, you know, don't burn them forever. <laughs> yeah. Stick them in a folder, and yeah, maybe don't bury them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean these these are things you learn. Oh yeah, you yeah. Go, but um, definitely because I I mean I I did a rebranding recently, and you know just just in the ideation process, I came up with a bunch of concepts, and I I knew like some of them I knew right out the gate just weren't going anywhere even for somebody else others were like really strong marks they just weren't right for the company it was like you know you get that idea that pops in your head like oh this is, and then you see it and you're like yeah that's not right for the company but that could work for something else yeah and i yeah so i, I definitely understand that especially when they give you like oh i want it i don't know i'll be extreme i want it to be pink um, yeah. and you go and spend all this time and they come back like you say they come back and go oh no it needs to be green and it, you've just done mm-hmm. you've done all the work based on one specific thing they mentioned, but actually that piece of information you've got didn't come from anybody who had any kind of authority over it. It was just like you know you should do it that way. Mm-hmm. But you learn as you go. I mean, the, the, I say to everyone now, you asking one more question won't lose you the job. No. So just no. double check. You know, are you sure we're going down this route? before I spend all this time. Yeah. Well, I think it's also a matter of pick your battles too. Like if yeah. you get down to the final design and they don't like, you know, you've got a blue logo and they want it to be red. Is it really going to make that much of a difference? Yeah. Like, you know, I'm sure there are some specific cases where yes, it, it could like, you know, but you you just pick your battles on yeah. that. I, I was listening to, oh no, I'm blanking. I think I was listening to Ian Paget when he was interviewing uh, Sagi Haviv yeah. of um, um, oh, I just CGH, and he said, you know, that was a tough lesson for him to learn early on, especially when he went there. Of, you know, they were working on. I, I can't remember who it was, but they were working on some, obviously with CGH, it's a high profile client and they were working on it and working on it and working on it. And it got down to the end and they presented it. And, you know, the, the the CEO of the company that was choosing it didn't like the color of it. Yeah. And Sagi, you know, goes and he stands up and he's about to defend his choices and all that. And, I think it was Tom Geismer at the time who was behind him and said, Oh, that's no problem. We can change that color. 
And he's like, he shut up real quick. Like Sagi's said, he shut up real quick and just was like, okay, well, I mean, he's the senior person, so I'll, you know, I'll listen to him. And then he got out of the room. He's like, why didn't you stand up for? Her? He's like, ultimately, it doesn't change that much. If it's just a color no. preference, it, it, you know, if that's I, the color that he wants to use on it. I don't know. It's exactly. not changing the design of it. It's just changing the color. I've heard stories of designers who have put something forward and it, there's been, oh, I don't really like it. They've gone away, left it a few days and submitted the same thing and maybe mm-hmm. changed the hue of the color. And they've gone, no, that's much better. You've, you, I, and they've done nothing to it. I've done that. Or I've done, you know, simple things where I presented something that was it wasn't even a final piece that I was presenting. I was just showing concepts at that point. I hadn't gotten to the place where it was refining stuff and they didn't like one. And all I did is I went in and I rounded the corners on something. Yeah. Um, and I barely rounded them and I presented it back again and they loved it. And I was like, okay. Oh, I, I I think yeah. I spent five minutes. It probably took me longer yeah. to open the file and to make the change. You saying that, I remember a good few years ago, I became a marketing manager of a company and it was the first time they'd had a marketing department mm-hmm. and I was there to do all the branding, uh, create the branding, do the branding work, do the website, do the flyers, brochures, everything we we had. Sure. And I remember laying out the leaflet and I, I like putting – you know, you know what it's like if, if you're doing a leaflet, you have a call-out box and I put mm-hmm. round, little rounded corners on the call-out box, submitted it, and the sales manager just looked at it and threw, he literally threw it back across the table and he went, no, that's not going to work. I said, what is it? Can you not read it? He said, no. These round corners, it makes the company look weak. We need sharp, strong, square corners. We need we we can't have rounded corners. Rounded come rounded corners is a weakness, and we we'll, we will look weak. You can imagine what my face looked like. <laughs> I went you have away. Any evidence to prove this? <laughs> yeah, I went away. I made it with with square corners, but I I had, I had then already submitted the rounded corners to someone up the food chain who. <laughs> Absolutely loved it. So when I submitted the square corners, we sat in a meeting and they came back. How I kept a straight face, I don't know. And he just said, oh, hang on a minute. Why have you made all the corners sharp? That looks awful. I want the one with the rounded corners and handed it back. And I just looked over to the guy that hated it and tried not to like make constant eye him. contact. But it was kind <laughs> of, trust me, that's why you hired me. But yeah. it is very much a slight, just a slight change, a slight difference. Oh yeah, it's the yeah. difference between getting it through the door and getting paid. But I hate it when you get people who are so, 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 so picky. Yeah. Um, don't show it to multiple people. We had this conversation at work today. Yeah. Make a decision. Oh, God, yeah, and do it. Don't involve it because there's a famous saying that if a committee had designed a horse, it would look like a camel. Mm, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what it is. It's anytime something is done by committee, it. I've never seen it improve it. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you work with your, you work with Tina and yeah. even, even between you two, there's been times I've sat and shown stuff and I've shown my wife and she's gone, I don't like that. And she'll see something in it that I haven't mm. thought about or, mm-hmm. or, or it'll be, it looks a little bit phallic, <laughs> you know, maybe that shouldn't be there with that and maybe yeah. the angle <laughs> could be different. And, but, but there are things, sometimes you do have to step away from it and show somebody who's got no oh, idea yeah, what they're doing. Oh, yeah, you definitely do. Even the kids and go, what do you think of that? They'll pick out stuff you haven't even thought of. 
uh-huh. or, or you yeah. know, it's like kids' names. If you come up trying to come up with kids' names, it'll be someone else who goes, "Oh yeah, that rhymes with." Are oh, you going to call your daughter Nelly? That rhymes with Smelly. <laughs> so, mm. <laughs> maybe not. Uh, yeah, maybe I'll pick something else. The yeah. worst one yeah. is when you do a logo and somebody says, "Oh, that looks exactly like," and you, and you research it and you're like, "Oh, oh yeah, I hate that." And and people don't. And I certainly there are cases where people rip stuff off, and that happens way too often but people also don't understand that a lot of times there's just there's such a thing as parallel thought is oh yeah people have the same times and it's you know you see it in comedy all the time of two people will have a joke that is very similar on the same topic yeah and it's just because we're all exposed to the same world you know we all see the same things it's just a matter of how we interpret things exactly and when people accused others of, I mean, I'm I'm sitting here looking at a Draplin poster, for mm-hmm. example. Um, it's a space shuttle. Mm-hmm. Now, the space shuttle's been done lots of times, mm-hmm. and Aaron's got a unique style, and this thing has been copied and plagiarized, and yeah. But there's every chance that someone else, someone somewhere else could have come up with something really similar to that, Mm -hmm. but they will get absolutely blasted for copying. But whereas, like you say, it could just be that two people uh, and a good exercise for designers is actually because like the thing I say with the people I work with is a lot of people want the cliche because they're not designers. You know, they say, I want to, I'm starting a business. I need a logo. Um, You got any budget for it? No. Um, But they go, yeah, I want, um, and I do a lot of photographers. And I said, it's the the easiest and hardest one to do. The easiest because you want your name, you want the lens ring or you want a camera. So Mm -hmm. it'll just be, or a tripod or a lens, you know, it'll be some kind of camera paraphernalia and then Mm. first name, last name, photography. That's Mm -hmm. pretty much how it is. That's the easiest one to do. Also the hardest one to do when people say, I want a logo, but I don't want anything to do with cameras on it. That's when you've really got to work hard at it. But then it's when they go on Google and they send you images and go, I want my logo to look like that. (laughs) You (laughs) know, Uh, well, um, well, someone's already done that. Yeah, that's that's that person's one. But it is it, you either d- design it and don't research it, and then mm. I would have an exercise of you know ask your friend to give you a random name and a random business, and just as a bit of an exercise, go away and create a small brand for that thing. Mm. But you're not allowed to Google anything. Mm. You have to come up with the most cliched version of it like the most obvious version of it you can think of and then you've then you've got to come up with something that you think is absolutely unique then go and google it so if it's i don't know ted smith bakers um it's a cupcake shop yeah it's a hard mm-hmm. one yeah so do the obvious one and then try and be really clever and do something different but then go and google cupcake logos mm-hmm. and you will probably see 20 that you that thought you were being really yeah. clever that looked just like yours. Now, yeah. are you stealing it? No. But if you put it out there, somebody could go, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's that's mine. That belongs yeah. to me. Well, that, that reminds me of an assignment when I was in design school that we had that was we had to make a poster that was based on Swiss design. And 
I just, I remember like a bunch of people coming in and presenting their work and it was, you looked at it and you're like, I don't know what you were thinking, but there's nothing Swiss about this. And I, I will say all of those people were told to do their project again. And, and part of the point of that was, is sometimes, you know, if you say what is Swiss design look like, it should be big, bold shapes, Helvetica type or sans serif, you know, it's going to have, you know, this kind of color palette, this sort of thing. And, you know, they should all look, very similar. Yes. Like there shouldn't be this huge deviation. Yeah. Like Bauhaus or so yeah. one of those type, kind of things, you know what you expect to see. It's just how they lay it out. Yeah. And what comes so, back. And <laughs> Exactly. And that's where the challenge comes in is, you know, if, if you're telling someone it's like Swiss design, you know, your color palette's going to be red. You're going to have white crosses that are big, thick and bold and it's going to be Helvetica type or some yeah. sort of sans serif type and they should all have those elements. It's how you're able to combine those elements where you're able to stand out and make something unique. Yeah, I love um I love looking at the, I think there's a website. There's like a website for bad photoshop, but I'm sure I've <laughs> some seen one where it's like bad it's bad logos or something. I wish I could uh-huh. find it and and it's the kitchen sink approach where it'll be like, say, Jason Frost home racing and they get in a racing car, a runner, a jockey, uh, <laughs> just just everything that goes fast on anything yeah. and try and get it all in. And then they forget that it, this has actually got to, you know, go on a business card. Mm-hmm. But they threw the kitchen sink at it, the whole lot, everything, the full works. And it was, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of, lot of stuff going in and oh yeah it'll end up like an avengers endgame poster where yeah. you're trying to get every single character in but that that's they're the ones that you spend way too much time on and get nowhere and then you go online and you see someone create some brilliantly simple logo shape that perfectly does it and you just the, the ones i know are good when i like i hate that guy for doing that because i wish I wish I'd done that because that's uh, brilliant. Yeah, uh, that's why I stopped looking at Damien Kidd's work. Yeah. <laughs> See, and know, I love Damien. And if you're listening, Damien, you're brilliant, but I can't look at your work because I just, I get frustrated with myself when I see it. <laughs> yeah. Damien, I love Damien's eye. Uh, oh, yeah. Just the way. He, because a lot of people just make a logo and they throw it up on site on Instagram. Hey, look at me. Look how brilliant I am. And it's like, hey, good. It's good. So there's a couple of people I follow deliberately because they plagiarize Aaron Traplin like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, but I know a few of them. I, what I like about Damien, and, and similar to Rocky Rourke as well with his work, is they show more of the background stuff and they Mm -hmm. show their screen, they show themselves working on it. They explain Mm -hmm. why they did what they did, uh, the thought process. um, And, you know, and I've said this before about Damien is, and this isn't a knock on Damien because I love the guy and I think he's a brilliant designer, but what he does is, is exceptional. It's very, Mm -hmm. very good. Mm -hmm. When people see what he does, and then they copy him. So let's say Slack rebrand and they mm-hmm. bring out a new logo, a whole new branding concept. They've spent a lot of money on it. It's been launched. It's out there. Mm-hmm. Damien does a very good job of, this is what I would have done. 
Mm-hmm. I'd have maybe, you know, made this a bit smoother or changed the colours or make it less bold. And he does a whole work through in the brand. But then I see other designers see what he's done. And so they copy what he's doing. He's doing. Yeah. And then they're spending all this time on, oh, well, I'm going to do that. I'm going to look at what Damien's done and I'm going to do my version. Now, a conversation I've had with a couple of designers where where that's happened is I've gone, okay, James Bond movie's just come out and make sure I stay on track with this because I okay. will go off on a tangent. James Bond movie comes out. Daniel Craig's on Instagram going, hi, the new James Bond film's coming out and we want you designers the to come poster. up with the poster. Yeah. Uh, and everyone's like, wow. We're not spending all our free time designing the poster. How dare you? This is shocking. You can't expect us to do that. And you're paying a pittance. This is a million pound film, your multi-million pound film. Wow, 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 Get it. Totally agree with it. Then, but there will be some people who will do it. There will be a winner. That poster will go mm-hmm. out. And then a thousand designers mm-hmm. will go and design their version of it. And they're doing exactly what they said they didn't want to do. They're going to spend time yep. redesigning something that's already been done. Now, the difference between them and going back to what I was saying with Damien is you could look at Damien's work and think he was the designer that got the job because mm-hmm. of the way he does it. But for all the other people who are looking at his work process, I would urge them to go and look for a local charity Go and look for a help centre or something, a non-profit that that needs some help, that have got a Comic Sans and a clip art. Go and rebrand them. If you're going to spend the time redesigning the Slack logo because you saw Damien do it, don't bother. Mm. Go and fuck, because I would love to see how you helped a local company or a hospice or a charity shop and and give them a brand. You're doing it for free because, you know, you're helping them out. You're going to spend the time on it anyway. I'd be more impressed seeing your what you did for them rather than trying to recreate what someone who's very professional what they do Mm -hmm. you know damien's not damien will eventually get hired one day if he's not already by a blue chip by what we call blue chip but you know what by a big company because his quality of work is so good but the kind of the copycats of his process would be better spending their time helping their craft helping someone who needs it yeah exactly rather than trying to show something on dribble for a couple of likes. Well, and Damien's also the guy who's going to do exactly what you just said. He's going to go out and he's going to help the nonprofit who yeah, needs exactly. help with that. He's so he's not just, you're not taking, seeing that, yeah. but he's doing, yeah. he's taking his skills. He's doing a bit of this, but he's also doing a bit of that, but he's, yeah. it, for me, he's a designer you can learn from. Mm-hmm, very um, much so. because you see the pro and the same with rocky you know rocky does a lot of process work and shows you different mm-hmm. color schemes why he explains what he did i like that kind of work where um they create a personal project and something glenn and i talk about on the podcast a personal project just go and pick something and mm-hmm. and have a go at it i've my brother's got a band so i want to get back into being an illustrator i was going to do this in 2019 i didn't because i wrote the book sure this year I was going to do one a month. I'm not. I'm going to do four this year, hopefully. Mm. I'm going to pick a song from one of his song lists, you know, from his albums. Yeah. And I'm going to try and create a piece of art, like a gig poster. Mm-hmm. Try and try and be clever. Try and flex my, my design muscles a little bit. Make mm. something. I'll send a copy to my brother. It won't make any difference. But I'll hone my skills <laughs> on something I know that will be good for Alan because he could they could potentially sell it at a gig. Yeah. 
I won't go out and try and redesign the Star Wars poster or the, the you know the next Marvel film. I'm not going to waste my time on that. It's not going to get me anything. Now I do love things like Poster Spy. Mm-hmm. Uh, a guy called Jack Woodham's runs Poster Spy. I love that world where the alternative movie poster. Yeah, so I was I was actually going to bring that up, and so one of the things that I do, and I, the place has yet to take me up on the offer, but um, we have a kind of art house theater here. It's a two screen theater. Yeah, they only. They, I mean, they do show big budget films, but most of the films they show are the art house style films, the ones yeah. that, you know, like the lighthouse or, or you know, they're not going to get wide circulation. That's most of what they show. Yeah. Um, and I keep trying to pitch him on, you know, let me do design posters because you are an art house film gallery place that do that. Not to rework the poster. Yeah. But to showcase what type of theater you are. Yes. And he's yet to take me up on that. But I've got a collection of posters that I've redesigned just for that. I need to start putting those up just because they're fun. Stick them on an iPad and take the iPad down there and scroll through and show oh, them. I've, oh, I've shown yeah. them to him. Yeah, he just, yeah. They just have to appreciate what you do. Yeah, now, and you, I'm, it, it's one of those, like, I'm not even asking for money. It's just because I want to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's a personal project. Yeah. I've, got, I've got a question for you. Unless you've got any specific questions for me, there's something I wanted to ask you about. I do have questions for you, but you go ahead first. Okay. I won't, we won't get down a rabbit hole with this. This was a conversation I had very recently and I did mention off air. And I saw it again today from somebody else. As a man who's in his 40s, early 40s, that you've mm-hmm. worked through the industry, you've now run your own studio with, with mm-hmm. Tina. Mm-hmm. Imposter syndrome. Okay. I sit... Like yes. I said before, I see a lot of people talking about this. And so I don't want to turn this into an hour's conversation about imposter syndrome, but I do want to say something about it because sure. the more I see it, the more it frustrates me in the way it's being used. Because I, for me, it's don't suffer, you don't need to suffer from imposter syndrome. Do you know what? It's okay for you for you not to be as good as other people. Oh yeah, yeah. You're not an imposter because you're not as good as someone else. You're you've got the ability to learn and become better. So even if you only use Photoshop and not Illustrator, or use Illustrator mm-hmm. and not Photoshop, you know, because you use this and not that, because you do design this kind of thing and not that, and somebody else is doing better than you, don't pull out the the imposter syndrome card for a kind of sympathy vote and and i know people won't necessarily agree with all i'm about to say but i sure for me imposter syndrome is the opposite imposter syndrome for me are the people pretending to be more than they are and they know what they're doing they are claiming to be experts gurus or whatever Uh with with no nothing to back it up and they're kind of you like the Instagram generation where, you know, oh, your life looks amazing. No, you saw three photographs on Instagram that made it look like my life's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that, it's curated that's, life. That it's, to yeah. me, that's imposter syndrome. Pretending to, if you, tr- if you keep pretending to be more than you are, 
chances mm. are you're not as good as you're making yourself out to be. And then, yes. yeah, then it flips on its head. And then, yeah, you you are not as good as other people. You shouldn't be in this industry because you're kind of faking it. And that whole, you mm. know, f- people say fake it till you make it. No, I don't yeah. necessarily agree with that. But but the imposter syndrome thing, I think before you start throwing it out on social media as, oh, am I, am I, am I? Just stop and think why you're asking yourself that question. What is the measurement that you're using? Are you an imposter because Chris Doe has got a multi-million pound business and putting out multiple decks and videos and you're not there yet? Well, it's because you're 22 and Chris is 42. <laughs> yeah. You know, have you worked 10 years in an agency? Have you? No. So don't, I don't know, it frustrates me when I see younger designers pulling that card out very quickly. Yeah. So for me, when I when because I'm, I'm definitely guilty of saying I have imposter syndrome, but when I say it, I don't mean it in the, it's because I'm not as good as someone else. I mean it in the sense of when I'm approaching a client that I've never worked with them in that industry before, or that sort of thing before, my imposter syndrome comes of, oh God, they're going to find out, I don't know what the <laughs> hell I'm doing. And this is all going to come crumbling down around me. But that's not imposter syndrome. That's no. just, that's just an experience. Yes. So that, that's when I say it, that's how I yeah, refer yeah. to it. And that's now. I am I am as guilty as anyone else of seeing other people who do this brilliant work and then comparing myself to them and beating myself up about it. But I have gotten remarkably better about it because I have to go, well, did I put in all the work that they put in to get there? Have yeah. I, you know, and, and don't get me wrong. There are some people who are just naturally talented and, you know, out of the gate are going to be leaps and bounds behind me. And that that's frustrating for everyone from no end, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but when it's people who have Damien's a good example again, or Nick Slater of they're constantly putting stuff out and that's how they get good is because they're constantly working on their craft. Exactly. And like, I don't, I don't beat myself up comparing myself to them because I know that I am not putting in nearly the work that they are to get where they are. So yes, yeah. I'm going to be behind them. Yeah. You know, I get where it comes from. I, I you know, I, I listened to the other day to about, I think it, I think it was create like 1978. There was some paper where this guy wrote about this imposter syndrome and I get it. I totally understand it. We've mm-hmm. all had a girlfriend where we're punching above our weight. Oh yeah. <laughs> or we get imposter syndrome. Like, I'm married to mine. Me. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, so we, 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 we get it all in all walks of life, you know, in mm-hmm. everything that we do. But it, how it frustrates me is when I see, like you say, you use it as a term because you're kind of explaining mm-hmm where it's coming from. It's when I see it being used mm-hmm. as a sympathy vote for, because they want 50 people to engage with it. And sometimes I think it's yeah. used as a, ter- as a term of engagement oh, so. rather I than a so genuine too. feeling because they want, yeah. Oh, you're, you're the best hun. You're the greatest. Well, that's to me, that isn't useful. That's just fluffing, fluffing your ego. And yeah. Yeah, no, I, I don't like that. That that annoys me. That's yeah. Uh, Ask yourself manufactured why. narcissism. 
yeah, yeah. That's that's it. That's it. I won't go any more on that. But it, I just wanted to say because I've never been able to talk about it on a podcast yet. Yeah, and it's something that when I see, oh, there's lots of things I could talk about. I won't, but. That was one of the ones where, you know, maybe I'm because I'm older, maybe because my feeling's different. My, pro, You know, I've got four kids and I'm, I'm 54 and I've still got 20 years left on my mortgage. You know, I've mm. got, there's, there's, there's pain and anxiety that goes with that. Yeah. But I know. And 10 I years know, from now, you may buy a new house and then you'll start yeah, all over again. It's yeah. exactly. Jason, 10 years from now, I'll be 64. Yeah. Well, you might, it's, your kids will be out of the house. You'll be downsizing into something else. You'll yeah. refinance. My, my only hope is the fact that because my kids are 10, 11 and 22 and 23, there's two generations of earners there. Yeah. Exactly, but it's I. You know, I think you get to a point where an age where, like you, you kind of. I mean, I admire you and Tina. You know, you've 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 both had day jobs. You're Mm -hmm. both very accomplished designers. I don't think you've got any reason to have any doubt in in your work because I think the work that you produce is very professional and very good, and and looks like it's had thought put into it rather than just you know pulling stuff off from Adobe Stock and rehashing it like I used, I've done in the past for a cheap job. I have never done anything yeah. like no. that. No. <laughs> but you've you've taken a big leap of faith and you've mm-hmm. gone and created your own studio and mm-hmm. and my voice is going up high then. You. Um, <laughs> you've taken a bigger risk than I will. And I've been working full time since the age of 16. Mm-hmm. I I'm not I'm not going to go freelance that in out out of choice, maybe yeah. out of necessity, but I, I like a day job. I, you know, I, I earn a salary and I do my bits and pieces on the side. Um, I know you've got children. Mm-hmm. It's a big risk you've taken. Now, mm-hmm. I think I think that's better than me, but I'm not. I'm not intimidated by it. I respect and admire it. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't be thinking, well, I'm not good enough. Jason can set up his own studio. Why can't I? Why am I not? You know, it's just no yeah, I think, limitations. I think that's where people put themselves in that's this self-deprecation isn't the self-flagellation is the word yeah, I'm looking for. That's it. Where yeah. they're, they're beating themselves up for things that they might not ever even really want to do, but they see somebody else doing it. So they think that they should be doing it. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, no, make your own path. Do what, yeah. do what's right for you. Don't do what's right for somebody else. Yeah. There's, you have to remove that sense of entitlement as well. Mm-hmm. Is that I, that I think that's in more in our, in the generation around now is where there seems to be, well, why, why can't I have that now? Yeah, Not thinking that so. person, that person who's got it has worked damn hard and probably been through a lot of ups and downs to get that car holiday house job whatever what what right have you got to expect that without doing any of the work and the I only think that's a barrier that well and the only time punched. the why can't i have that now attitude is appropriate is if you're a toddler yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know because you and and because at that point they don't have a sense of time i mean a, no. a two or three year old doesn't have that concept of the future or the no, path that everything is in. immediate <laughs> So why can't I have that now is a legitimate question to a two-year-old. To a 42-year-old, <laughs> no. Why like, can't I have that brand new iMac? <laughs> yeah. Because, because darling, it's expensive <laughs> and you have, you know, a mortgage to pay. Your kids may need braces, you know, 
all of those things. It's you've got responsibilities. That's why. Yeah. I have to give a quick shout out to Mark from Creative Waffle because uh sort of got to know him and he's been mm. one of those refreshing young designers that has been through all of these jumping through all of these hoops. Mm. But he's learning a lot as he's going. He's taking mm-hmm. a lot of advice. He's, he's changed his path. He's understood some of the th- problems he's, he was going through and doubts and changing the way he works, changing his life. He's, mm-hmm. you know, he said in the podcast the other day that his actual dream job is to be a graphic designer for a, for a football club. And that's something he's pursuing. And it, it would mean the podcast would go to, you know, go to the side a little bit but he's made a plan for that what i like about him is he's taking advice he's making changes and adapting to the situations he's got and that he's going to come up against Mm -hmm. and i think there's a lot to be learned from that kind of attitude in you know be patient 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 it's just put in the the legwork like diane and i are going to speak at creative south and one of the things Mm -hmm. we're talking about is how you behave in your community and how you can sometimes get the things that that you get the opportunities you might not expect from the smallest of gestures yeah from the tiniest of of moments and there was um there was a tweet that somebody put out that we both know who's Mm. higher up in the food chain (laughs) <laughs> and uh, and I may have misinterpreted it, but I didn't like what I saw. And and the quote was, "Sorry, I didn't stop and make small talk. I was busy making progress." And I saw it, and I took a screenshot <sighs> of it, and that annoyed the hell out of me because I've been doing this for ten years, from forty four to fifty four. I've had some incredible experiences over the past ten years that I'm sure many of my younger peers would you know give their arm for for some of the opportunities but do you know what 75 percent of those opportunities have all come from small talk have all come from taking time to, to talk to somebody and spend time and help them and use my time to help them and it all it's like the whole thing with karma it comes around but small talk is so important because that's where you find out the little connections that you've got. Like, oh, you like that. Oh, you've been there. Oh, you know him. Mm-hmm. If you're busy making progress, great. You crack on. You go and follow your very blinkered path. I'm going to stay here and talk to this guy because it could well be that his next door neighbour is the CEO of a company that's going through a rebranding process and that that connection might happen. Yeah, that's so, I mean, one of my biggest regrets every year when I leave Creative South is the people that stop and want to talk to me and I'm like in the middle of running to put a fire out and I just don't get a chance to talk to them. And I feel terrible about it because I've I've been there and, you know, my fear of looking at it from their side is they think I'm blowing them off where I, I'm absolutely not wanting to blow them off. I'm wanting to talk to them, but something is you know literally happening that I'm not able to. Yeah, and I, but you've got a legit I've, reason for it. Yes, but I, at this point, like, and I'd say the first year that I was on staff at Creative South, I didn't, I mean, I didn't not intentionally do it, but I didn't go out and try to find that person. But now I've gotten to the point where if I don't get a chance to talk to them, I go and try to find them. 
because I know that they wanted to talk to me and the fact that somebody even knows who I am and wants to talk to me is pretty damn impressive because I'm not like, I'm not a household name. I'm not a, I'm not even a, I'm not a household name amongst designers. Like it's, I think it's, you are. I, th- I think because well, of your yeah. connection, I think when people ref- when people refer to you and they use the word the in front of your name, yeah, that's when you know people know. Yeah, what the Jason Frost home? Yeah, <laughs> and every time someone comes up to me, and, and I'm sure you've had this experience before, are you the Dave Clayton? You're just like, I, I'm a Depends Dave Clayton. How much money you're owed? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's always like you know who I am. How do you know who I am? Yeah. I'm still just flabbergasted by that. And it's, it, I hope I never get used to that. Yeah. Cause I, I think when only, you get used to that, you're missing something. Yes, definitely. I've only started getting used to that in the past couple of years because of, I've said this before on another podcast is <clears throat> when I first started doing this, I used to go everywhere with Glenn. We always do all mm. the conferences together. We room together. We travel together. And people didn't know I was a graphic designer, but they knew he was a photographer. And they'd come up and be, oh, hi, hi, Dave, because I'd have my badge on. They'd see mm. the name and go, oh, yeah, Dave Clayton. And then the next question would be, where's Glenn? And then I felt like <laughs> this, the sidekick. <laughs> and now 10 years on, people come up to us and the first thing they say to either one of us is, ah, oh, like they know who I am, which is weird. Mm-hmm. And then they go, oh man, I love the podcast. It's not, yeah. I love, because my, gra- I've said before, and this goes back to the imposter syndrome thing. Go on Google. I'm a graphic designer. Okay. Mm-hmm. My, my email signature, my job, my career, I tell people that's what I am. Go and find my work. Yeah. Now I could very easily say I'm an, I'm an imposter because if you go out and try and find my work, the all you'll find is f- four book covers I've done, mm-hmm. Glyn's logo, um, a couple of bits and pieces that my name might be associated to, but I don't have a Dribble account. I don't have a Behance account. I don't mm-hmm. have a website with work on. You won't find any of my work out there at all. And I've made an okay living out the past 10 years because... Mm. I don't, that's not what I do it for. I, I work for people. Um, that's just, that's just the way I want it to be. Mm-hmm. And the fact that people can, will come up to me now and, and know who I am and know what I do. It is quite odd that <laughs> what they know, what they know me for. Yeah. And yeah, I've, I'm the same you know, I've signed an I've signed an autograph. I've actually signed an autograph because I designed oh, the book. You're, and they I have not done that. Yeah, um, I've had a couple of people want to take pictures with you, which is always nice. But then I do mm. that with people. I do that with you um, because you want to photograph with your friends. But it is very odd when you start to have people you don't know come up to you, mm-hmm. and, and they know who you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's a little bit weird and scary. <laughs> yeah. I, I will say for people out there, I am all for you coming up and talking to me. Just please don't do it in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Like, the, don't do it in the bathroom. Don't do it while I'm obviously working. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, if <laughs> if you have to talk to me in the bathroom, at least wait till I'm washing my hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Golden rule. Men don't talk to men in bathrooms. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I think that applies to women too. I, cause I've asked my wife about that. She's like, no, you don't carry on a conversation in a bathroom. That's weird. <laughs> no, get in, get out. Job done. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> so to, to, uh, to get on topic of what we, uh, actually came here to talk about in the first place, Oops. let's, <laughs> let's talk about this, uh, this new wonderful book that you've written. And why you've decided to write it. So, how do I do that in InDesign? Uh, it's taken me a year to write because of having the job and family. Um, sure. Long story short, which is unusual for me. Um, basically, if you know me, you know I've been around Scott Kelby, Kelby One, mm. the National Association of Photoshop Professionals the last 10 years. And I went from being a member to their evangel- to their only evangelist Mm -hmm. uh, to becoming an author then I became a video instructor then I became uh, a conference instructor which is you know again I'm talking about in the last 10 years all this stuff Mm -hmm. my first public speaking appearance I was 50 years old so these these were little challenges that Scott had faith in me and got me to do and pushed me and he believed in what I could do and what I could teach and I really enjoyed teaching actually to be honest Mm -hmm. and uh as time went on, I'm a book lover, huge book lover, and I've always, you know, picked up all of Scott's books. And he brought out a series called How Do I Do That In? And the first one he did was Photoshop, and it was just a book that every single page, one tip, how do I do this in Photoshop? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you could pick the book up. Oh, how do I do that thing with text? Go to the text chapter. There it is. There's a screenshot to help you. Oh, that's right. That's how I do a drop cack. Well, that's how I change the alignment. And you put the book down. Then he brought out one called How Do I Do That in Lightroom? And then he did, like I think, like Lightroom CC and Lightroom Classic. Mm-hmm. And by that time, Glyn had already done a couple of books and I designed the book covers for him and they went to number one on Amazon. And it was it's lovely still seeing that. And I jokingly said to Scott and Rocky Nook, his publisher, I wish you'd expand this series to include us graphic designers because mm-hmm. Photoshop is still a photographer's tool in the in the way it was being taught there. And I was sort of said, you know, I'd I'd love that book for InDesign because InDesign is the tool that catches you out sometimes because it's quite powerful, but but the best tool yeah. for the job. And, and you know, an illustrator is equally complicated, but um, in its simplest form, it's some quite basic stuff in there. So I mocked up a book cover and I jokingly sent it to him and said, oh, just imagine what this would look like with these two, thinking mm. Scott would write the book with Terry White from Adobe because they'd worked on a previous InDesign book. Sure. And that was it. Left it. I, I had no inclination that there would ever be an opportunity for me to write that book because I hadn't written a book and Rocky Nook had worked with some very established authors, including Mm -hmm. Scott, who I think is like the most over 5 million books in photography. Mm -hmm. Um, And they had a conversation with Scott and were talking about ideas and just said, you know, Dave's been talking about expanding the series. Um, InDesign's probably the next best one to do. How do you feel about it? And Scott said, well, yeah, Dave's been on at me as well. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a good idea, but I haven't got time. I'm currently writing this book, this book, and this book, and I've got this other stuff going on. Uh, and the conversation between them went, well, why 
why doesn't Dave write it? He teaches it for us. He's done video classes. It's his job. It's the tool he uses the most. Why is he sure. asking for the book? Why doesn't he write it? So <laughs> they came away and contacted me and and said, you know, we had the conversation with Scott. How do you feel about writing the book? You know what you want it to be. You you help, you teach, you know the questions you're always asked. You know, mm. you teach InDesign tips and tricks at Photoshop World and I've, I think I've got three, three, four InDesign classes on Kelby One that are how to, how to, how to. I absolutely crapped myself when they asked me because this <laughs> book, you know, it's 260 odd tips, 260 pages. And the initial time they wanted it in was impossible for me. It just, sure. I couldn't take, most authors take a couple of months off, write the book and then go back to work. And I couldn't. But I thought, well, you know what? I, I never used to stand up and talk in front of people and teach, and I never used to write for a magazine, and I never used to do video classes. And those that know me know about my twitchy eye and how I don't like being on camera, and it bothers me. So that was a challenge mm -hmm. I had to overcome. And I just thought, how awesome would it be to write a book? How awesome would it be to write a book for Scott Kelby and have it go in his series and be the first non-Scott Kelby person you know i'm i'm the first well and non-exclusively photography him. based book too yeah and so i i planned the whole thing out put together the overview of it it went to scott and his book team they came back and said dave just do it you you, you don't don't question don't worry about having it having to write scott's book write your book Mm. Right, do it in so it's written as though I'm sat next to you. It's written in my, it's my voice. Um, it's not super technical, you know. I'm not trying to complicate it by showing how clever I am about what I know about InDesign. I, you know, I again, it goes back to the imposter syndrome thing where you could, I could sit there and go, oh, I shouldn't be writing this. I know 10 people better than me, but mm. Scott had faith in me. And those 10 people have had an opportunity to write a book forever and they haven't. Mm. So planned it all, sat and started writing it, doing all the screenshots. And I still now can't believe that that this book exists and that I've written a book and I'm an author. It, yeah. It, it really published is. Published author you know, at that. <laughs> yeah, published with a proper, you know, because a couple of people have gone, oh, so what, self-published? I'm like, no, this is, this is a proper book. But this is worldwide. It's already been translated into, I think, Bulgarian, Italian, Spanish, mm. and French. And I think there's going to be a Chinese or Japanese. I think is one of the next ones. It's it's a it's worldwide. It's Amazon US, mm. Amazon UK, Barnes and Noble. It's quite weird. I do want to find it in a bookshop because I don't feel like a proper author until I've seen it in a bookshop. Do you remember bookshops? Yes. <laughs> so, so I'm try I'm trying to find a bookshop that will stock it. But yeah, again, it go it goes down to you might think you can't do it, but have a go at it. Yeah. Have some faith in yourself. And and now when I look back, I said to Glenn on the episode we did and he shoots he draws. If I evaluate the last decade and you know that old the good old question, where do you see yourself in five years' time? Well, Reverse it and and go. If I go, if I could go back five years, could I ever imagined I would have achieved the things I've done in the past five years? I Absolutely think that's a much not. better question to ask. Yeah, but 
I can look back and, and some of this might be in the talk with Diane is, is about breadcrumbs. When you have mm. a success, when you have a huge success in, in what is a personal success, just go a few steps back and see how that came about. Mm. Who helped you? What opportunity came up? Did you go to a show? Was it somebody you knew? Was it a relationship you've built? And I can breadcrumb, I can do the breadcrumbs back on this book in three different routes through three different relationships, through putting myself out and doing something, stepping myself, stepping out of my comfort zone. And, and here I am, the author of a, a book that's got a glowing forward by Scott, which I'm, you know, I'm pleased to have him forward the book. Mm. And yeah, I, it's weird. It's very weird. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine. I imagine. Now you get to sign more autographs because people are going to want you to sign their book. I've already sent out, I made the mistake of telling people they can have a free signed copy. I've spent over $100 in postage just shipping to America. But, oh, I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> but these are, these are, you know, this is another thing I did is my, my acknowledgement. My just, put, just put mine in your carry-on bag. How about that? Oh, of course, yeah. Save yourself the postage. <laughs> my acknowledgements are four pages long and you're in it. I, you know, yeah, I thank you. I, I was shocked when I saw that. I was very honoured. I wanted I wanted to thank all the people over the last 10 years that have influenced me in some grand way or some small way, even just being a good friend. Mm-hmm. And the, the the people who got, you know, like my family and closest friends, I wanted them all to have a copy. There was a few thank yous I wanted to do. And it was mm-hmm. important for me to send a book to those people and with a personal message in the front, just saying, you know, you influenced me. You're a part of me writing this book. Mm-hmm. because you helped me with this or, you know, you helped me with that. And and it was lovely. That was, that's been the nicest thing to do is send those copies out with those personal oh, I can imagine. in the front. So, um, but let's hope thousands shift. <laughs> I'll happily <laughs> sign thousands of autographs if it means they're selling. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> so, I want to write the next one. How do I do more in InDesign? Or well, what's stopping you? Uh, nothing at the moment other than they've not agreed to it, but I'll write it anyway. Yeah, I was about to say, you can write it anyways and, you know. Yeah, so that's been good, thank you, yeah. Now, my main question is, do you explain what liquid layouts are in the InDesign book? Because I still do not understand them. (laughs) Okay, There's there's some stuff that isn't in that book and there's a very good reason for it. No, I don't cover liquid layouts in there. Because no one uses it? Because it's, because, <laughs> yeah, because no one uses it. Uh, because it's so specific to the content, it's hard mm-hmm. to make a single page about it that would help anybody g- go from A to B with it. So somebody messaged me and said, oh, I can't wait to get your book. I want to learn all about grep. There's no grep in it. Because my book, I said from the beginning, is... That all the people I meet that don't use InDesign pretty much all have the same reason for not using it. They're scared of it. They do what I do mm. with After Effects. They they click on the icon. It bounces a couple of times. It opens up. <laughs> just when you already think, right, today's the day I'm <laughs> going to do After Effects. And it opens up and then I just go, nope, and close it and another day. And a lot of people do that with InDesign because they've done it mm. in Word. They've done it in Publisher. But when the InDesign frame opens up, there's just a blockage. So I wanted this book to be, look, just now imagine, unfortunately for you, I'm now in the room sat next to you. (laughs) Uh, Let's go through this little bit at a time. 
you know, you've started it up. So how do I set up a new document? What can I do when I set up a new document? What things do I need to know and why? Okay, mm. now we've opened the document up. What do we want to do next? How do I place text on the page? Text tool. And then, well, how do I format that text? Well, okay, let's go. And then, and you, we just work through. And all I want this book to do is to get people to have the confidence to just open InDesign up mm-hmm. and practice. Because do you know what? You can't break the internet with it and you can't break your computer with it and you won't break InDesign. Yeah. And and if this book or online training or videos or YouTube, there's a t- you know, there's InDesign Secrets run by David Blattner. There's a ton of great content on there. Go and join that. This book is to help people get out of the starting blocks. Then when they understand the mm-hmm. basics, they can go off and get a great book on grep and they can go and get a great book on digital publishing for InDesign. Mm-hmm. They can go and get a great book by Nigel French on typography. You know, mm-hmm. they, this isn't the all in one. Now, Rocky Nook do do another book called the InDesign Compendium, which is exactly that. It's got everything in it, what every tool does. It's got some, uh, tutorial stuff you can do but yeah i I, my book i just wanted my book to be your mate who knows a bit more about indesign than you Mm. i I think that's a great way to approach it to make it yeah to make it less intimidating yeah it's like less than 20 bucks i think to buy it it's just have it beside you and when you're stuck on something i mean diane got a copy and diane's going to be using it in her classes oh that's because it's just it's a starter thing and extensis the company that do suitcase the font management mm. system they mm. they were my first they bought the first 100 copies of my book to really? give to their customers in font management who's in design oh that's brilliant. um and they've just asked me to write an article for their website around type um and in design to help promote the book but you know stuff like that it's mm-hmm. all i want to do is help somebody I want another InDesign user out in the world because it's the secret weapon of of the creative cloud. Yeah, it's uh, like people don't talk about it enough, but that is the one program that I use every day. Like there there are yeah. days where I don't use Photoshop. There's actually more days than not than I don't use Photoshop. There's 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 days where I don't use Illustrator. Yeah. But there I when I'm working, I very rarely is there a day that I don't use InDesign. Yeah. And there's a lot you can do in InDesign that you you can do in Photoshop and Illustrator. If you mm-hmm. just want to stay in InDesign and do something quick. Um mm-hmm. I did a I did a tutorial on creating social media, Instagram graphics mm-hmm. in InDesign. You know, it's it's so versatile that it's you know, every Every book, every magazine, every leaflet, pamphlet, go through the airport. Every everything you see is probably been laid out in InDesign. The mm-hmm. logo might have been done in Illustrator, and the photo might have been retouched in Photoshop. But ultimately, most yeah. of the things you pick up have been done in the desktop publishing, whether it's Quark or Affinity Publisher or Adobe InDesign. It's it's a it was a layout tool that put it all together. That's mm-hmm. where the money is. Get good yeah. at InDesign. That's where you'll get jobs more than you'll get Photoshop work, more oh, yeah. than you'll get Illustrator work. You'll never yeah. be out of work if you know how to use InDesign. That's yeah. a bold claim, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that is a bold claim. But but it's true. I mean, it's, you know, it's people always need brochures. People always need a white paper or, you know, it may not be the sexiest work out there, but nope. you're always going to have work. 
That's one of my slides. It says it might not be sexy, but it's paid for. Yeah, that's. And what's more important, having, you know, you know, thousands of dollars in debt, but you've created one memorable logo or, you know, having that mortgage paid off and, exactly. uh, and, uh, you know, you, you made a bunch of white papers that nobody except for in the, you know, concrete trade industry will see. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and if, if you ever get a chance as well, if you ever see the hood sisters, doing their InDesign class, I strongly recommend it because I sat in it at Adobe Max and I walked in and they went, oh my God, it's so intimidating. You're in here. You're the InDesign expert. I went, no, 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 no. no, no, no. Seriously, within 15 minutes of them starting their class, I'd made a bunch of notes already because the stuff I'd forgotten to put in the book. It's like, oh yeah, I forgot you can do that that way. Oh yeah, I'd never thought of doing that like that. So you, you, you're always learning, but yeah, if you ever get to see the Hood Sisters do their InDesign class, it's really good. I will have to uh, check that out next time they're, excuse me, in my region. Yeah, I like them. They're good people. Cool. Well, we're getting kind of close to our time. Yes. And I want to wrap up with some quick rapid fire food questions for you uh, okay. to bring that feasting portion in. Um, yeah. So if you're ready, we'll, uh, we'll kick it off. Yeah, do it. All right. So what is kind of like your earliest food memory? And it can be good or bad. It doesn't, you know, have to be anything like that. Anything stellar. (laughs) Right. My earliest food memory is my mum sent me and my brother around uh, a neighbor's house Mm -hmm. after school for tea and the, uh, this little girl, Elaine, her mum made me a fried egg. Now, I don't know what you call it over there. It's like sunny side up. Or, yeah, it's fried, it's basically, a fried egg. Yeah, a fried egg. So it's white and the yolk is on top in the middle. It's not been flipped mm-hmm. or anything. It was just a fried egg. And I'd never had a fried I'd had a boiled egg before. I'd mm-hmm. never had a fried egg. And I just remember looking at it thinking, <laughs> how do I eat this? Where do I start? And it was my first ever fried egg. And it was magic. And mm. I just have such a vivid memory of sitting there and being too polite to say I didn't want to eat it. So I ate it out of politeness and I'm glad I did because it was <laughs> absolutely wonderful. And I was probably about seven or eight years old. Mm. I, yeah. I'm I'm a I'm a big fried egg fan, so I I understand that completely. What uh, what's kind of like your go to comfort food if you've had just a crap day and you just you need to shut the brain off and you just want to shove something in your face. Uh, if I, if it didn't take so long to make it, this is, I credit my mum for this one. She, when we used to feel poorly or just mm-hmm. like had a bad day, mum would make mashed potato, mm-hmm. put it on a plate and she'd kind of volcano it. Mm-hmm. And then she'd boil, boil an egg, a soft boiled egg, mm-hmm. take all the shell off and crack and break the the soft boiled egg into the top of the mashed potato so the yolk would go into the mash. Huh. That is the most heavenly thing. That is my comfort food. I have never um tried that before. That sounds yeah, interesting. Yeah, nice but- buttery mash, not too dry. Nice yeah. nice consistency, soft, soft and fluffy, lots of butter in it and then like volcano it and then 
get a, even if you're hungry, two boiled soft boiled eggs. So when you crack the yolk, you know when you peel the shell off and you just break that white, mm. the the yolk will run into the mashed potato and soak mm. in. Oh, Jay, it's, it's, it's just that, ma- that, magic. That just reminded me. There's a travel show. Well, it's a food show on the Travel Channel channel. And I think it's hosted by a chef uh, called Andrew Zimmern. Um, okay. He's, he's got a sh- another show called Bizarre Foods. But he did this travel series where he just went around to a different city and had like a 24-hour layover there and explored the city for a day. And this was in, I think it was L.A. It's either L.A. or San Francisco. I can never remember. But he went to a restaurant called The Egg Slut. <laughs> and, and they they had something very similar on their menu and it was um this jar that i don't know like if it kind of like a mason jar sort of thing um that has the flip lids with the rubber seal and on the bottom of the jar was like these mashed potatoes that were like 50% butter 50% potato and then on top of that, they put a very soft poached egg, and you yeah, just poached egg will work it. as well. Yeah, just you just eat it out of there, and it sounded so. Del- I think they threw some chives on top too, and it sounded yeah. so delicious. And that that what what you're describing sounded remarkably similar to that. Yeah, it's a basic version of that, but yeah, you can you can add like you can put you can add a bit of cheese to it or something. But yeah, that alone, just that mm-hmm. texture and flavor, oh, it takes me back to a little treat and I don't have it very often I mean I've yeah. not I can't I couldn't even tell you the last time I had it but it is absolutely delightful <laughs> and then um the final question what is your death row meal that last thing you can ever eat in your life oh my my most favorite thing is an amazing lasagna oh yeah I could eat lasagna every single day. Uh, mm. It's my favourite thing, but it has to be a good one. It has to have lots of meat in it. Mm. No, no hard lasagna layers in it. It's all got to be soft. Not too much runny cheese. I'm, I'm more mm. of a. I want more meat than I want runny cheese. But lasagna. But <laughs> I, I had this conversation the other day about that kind of thing, and I said it would be that. Mm. Or instead of a foot long subway, I'd ask for a mile long subway because that would extend my time being alive to eat it. (laughs) (laughs) People have had a lot of similar answers to that of, I would get something and you can only get it in this one place that takes like three. Yeah, I've had had a lot of those answers. So that always makes me laugh. Get me a great chef to make a simple lasagna, nice really big one enough that i'd feel sick after eating it because it wouldn't matter because mm. i'm on death row anyway yeah I want, exactly i want to go i want to go out knowing i was completely full of the best lasagna i'd ever had and i'd be happy and if you want to bring in some mashed potato with egg in the top uh maybe a fried Just egg on the off. side yeah. you, you hit all three spots and and it takes me back to my childhood comfort food because i'm feeling poorly and my best dinner ever awesome well, Dave, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, chat with me today. Where can people find out more about you online? Uh, they can go to uh, social media. I'm It's Dave Clayton on everything. So that's ITS as in It's Dave Clayton. 
you can find the podcast on he shoots he draws.com which is currently being built but um or on social media at he shoots he draws uh you can find my stuff on kelby1.com and my books on amazon and rockynook.com uh and most importantly the people that pay my wages if you're an Adobe Illustrator <laughs> user, astutegraphics.com. If you're using Illustrator and you're not using Astute Graphics plugins, you are not making enough money. <laughs> you sh- Very true. You sh- all the things you sit and curse and cuss about Adobe Illustrator, you just go over to astutegraphics.com and have a look at that. Yep. That's where all yep. the good stuff is. So, yeah, the, they, they pay me wages, so I've got to give them a big shout out. <laughs> yes, and they do have wonderful products. And then finally, I know you said uh, you can get the book on Amazon. Anywhere else they should go to get the book where you get a bigger cut of it? Uh, no. I mean, you, if you go to rockynook.com, so that's R-O-C-K-Y-N-O-O-K, uh, rockynook.com, they quite often, if you join their email list, they quite often put out 20, 30, 40% discount codes. Oh. So you can get the book from there. Um which is it's in stock there it is in stock on amazon.com and if you're in the uk it's on amazon.co.uk it's also on barnes and noble um Mm -hmm. and pretty much if you google it you'll find it in a lot of bookstores but i I think wherever i'll just be happy for it to sell rather than worry about um whether i'll make a huge cut because people say you don't get rich (laughs) writing a book Uh, but yeah if if you can find it somewhere by you know however which which way you find it it's on kindle it's ebook it's pdf it's everything so um but most importantly please 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 if you buy it from amazon please leave a review that re- would really mean a lot i don't care what you give me you be honest give feedback because the book's only as good as how it's accepted by people now it helps so if you do buy it from amazon please leave a review on there because we've only got two at the moment one of them's diane <laughs> um, so yeah, it would really help because it'd be just nice to, um, it's such a niche little product. Uh, mm. I, I just would like it to be, you know, higher up the InDesign chart, if nothing else, so that other people find it. But yeah, I, w- I will go make up a review. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Cause it's that verified purchase that matters. When yeah. People yeah. Buy it Cause they bought it from very verified purchase. So that's good. Um, but yeah, no, thank mate. Thank you for having me on. I've waffled on and. You probably might have to cut some to come out of it, but it's such a pleasure <laughs> to catch up with you, and I can't wait to see you at Creative South. I'm looking forward to seeing you as well. Yeah. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Go out and break some bread. And you too. Bye. You can find out more about Dave on Twitter at It's Dave Clayton. And be sure to check out the links in the show notes for more ways to keep up with him. I hope you liked this episode of Feasting on Design. Let me know what you think. And if you like, leave me a review over on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Visit FeastingOnDesign.com to catch up with the archives of the Creative South podcast. Get some cool swag like t-shirts and stickers that are on sale right now for 50% off with free shipping on orders over $25 when you use the code free shipping, all one word. Plus, you can keep up with the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram 
at Feast on Design, and I'm at Jay Frostholm on Dribble, Twitter, and Instagram, or over on my website at IldisDesign.com. 